For those of you that don't know me, my name is Chris Snyder. I'm the youth pastor up at the Spirit Lake campus, and uh, Jordan told me, I think it was late last week or maybe early this week, that he was possibly going to be gone and asked about being here to help through the service, and I said, absolutely, anything we need to help. And then uh, I think it was earlier this week, we realized we might be having some technical difficulties if we tried to video feed a sermon down from Andy, so I said, well, why don't I cover the message? Chris, the other Chris will take the, 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 the uh, service side of it and we'll cover. So just want to let you know, we're up there. I know Chris gets down here a lot. I don't because I'm tied to some things on Sunday mornings, but we're here for you. We love you. We, we love Jordan and any way we can help, we can. And so that's what brings me down here this morning is just to fill in to, to, to uh, give him a chance to catch some breath before he's got a really busy Christmas season. So um, part of that team aspect. But uh, Wanda, I'll probably give you my story some other time, my testimony, but uh, let me just start out by giving you the, the title of the message, and I think we got it up there on the screen. It is, When Following the Lord Lands You in Jail. And uh, <clears throat> kind of wanted to put a picture of Pastor Kurt up there with a mug shot, but I didn't. But I thought that would have been, I might do that when I'm up in Spirit Lake with this one. Um, I got to tell you, I've never been in jail for the Lord. I'll tell you the closest I've ever been, though, was uh, I became a Christian later in high school. I didn't grow up going to a church or in a Christian home. And uh, when I was in high school, I, I got saved my junior year, but I, I just grew like a weed. I got plugged in, and then when I was like just out of high school and in my first couple years of college, I moved in with some roommates, and you know when you're going down Grand Avenue here in Spencer, and you got these big old houses, the two-story houses, and, and that's kind of what we lived in. It was in Iowa City, and what happens in Iowa City is they take these huge houses, and they convert them, and what they do a lot of times is they'll take that bottom level and make it into an apartment. And they take that top level, which has a bathroom and three or four bedrooms, and they rent those out like dorm rooms with one shared bathroom, if that helps. So I'm living with some roommates, and, uh, and we're, we're in this house together, and we're sharpening each other like iron sharpens iron. And uh, we had this guy move in upstairs that we didn't know his name was Ty. I think it was Tyrone or Ty Rose, but he went by Ty. And we tried to befriend Ty and get to know Ty. And, and as the semester and the school year went on, Ty was always borrowing money, and it was little bits at first, and we weren't so concerned with getting paid back, borrowing, borrowing, and eventually, though, it got to the point where Ty was owing some of my roommates a, a good amount of money, and uh, Ty also had been messing around with some checks and got himself in some pretty big trouble, and so the next thing you know, Ty's not upstairs anymore, but we're getting phone calls, collect calls from the uh, Johnson County Jail asking us to come bail him out, and we took the calls to Ty, we just can't. You know, we, 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 we love you, we're praying for you, but we can't do that. And he called, I mean, it would be several times a day, and one of the last times I spoke to Ty, he called me, he goes, Chris, I get you're not going to be able to bail me out, but can you please move my car? He goes, my car is parked in front of one of the dorms, and it's going to get towed if it doesn't get moved. Would you move it from, from in the front of the dorm to a friend of mine's house? He goes, my keys are up on my dresser, would you just, and I said, sure, I can help you that way. So again, I love Jesus, I'm trying to serve him, serve people. So I go get the car, I move it for him, don't hear from Ty again. My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Bridget, is, uh, is doing a Bible study, or she's actually attending a Bible study I'm leading, and she brings a friend of hers from work. She was a waitress at the time, so she brings this friend, and as they come to this Bible study, Bridget had been kind of working on getting to know this gal, they arrive, and the girl goes, you're never going to believe this, but I've been here before, and I go, to this apartment? And she goes, no, I, I used to date the guy upstairs. I go, Ty? And she goes, oh yeah, Ty. And I go, oh, yeah, I know Ty. And she goes, yeah, he's in jail now. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry to hear that. She goes, don't ever loan him money. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we know that too. And she goes, you know, the craziest thing, he stole my car. And I'm like, why would he steal your car? He has a car. She goes, no, I loaned him a set of keys 
So if you ever needed to borrow it, he could. And she goes, I came out of my dorm room one day, and it was gone. I still haven't found my car. And I got to tell you, you haven't done a Bible study until you've started out having to apologize to the person visiting your study for stealing their car. So I just had to say, you know, I don't know if Ty was actually the one that took that car. Well, yeah, it was me. And so I told her where the car was at. She got it back. But that's probably the closest I've ever been to getting myself in trouble for serving the Lord. But what we're looking at this morning is uh, Paul got himself in some trouble for following the Lord's lead. Now, um, what I would love is if you would open up to the book of Acts in chapter 16 with me. And um, I've gotten your, your bulletins here. We have a, a map in there. And I would just love it if uh, throughout the first part of this, the first few verses, would you keep your map open, but would you also be willing to have the Bible open to Acts 16 there? And as you're turning there, Acts chapter 16, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on this one. Uh, this is Paul's second missionary journey. He did three. This is the second one. Uh, it, it happens about 50 or 51 A.D. So check this out. What's happening in, in our history, Christian history at this point, is the gospel has gone out, and Jewish people are starting to become Christians, but also some non-Jewish people are starting to become Christians. And this is the big question at the time. Do non-Jewish Gentiles have to become Jews to be Christians? Do they have to go through Judaism, or can they just jump right to the front line and be Christians? And so there was this council in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Council in 50 AD, where they worked this out, and they said, no, they do not have to do all the Jewish rituals and customs to be Christians. They can hop to the front of the line. And so Paul says, I want to go out and tell people this. I've already done this first missionary journey. I want to get there and give them the update on this, and then I want to hit some other places. So that's where we're at. And Paul goes north to Antioch, and he goes there, and he's getting prepared to do his, first mission, or his second missionary journey, and this is Acts 15 now. And this journey starts with Paul and Silas, and as they go, they pick up a guy named Timothy in the town of Lystra, and then later on they add Luke, who, by the way, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote Acts. So they pick up Luke along the journey. With that said, I hope you're with me. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read through verse 11, but I'd like to, or starting with 11, but I'd like to keep that map up there on the screen if you would. So we'll go to the map. Perfect. And I'll go ahead and read this to you, okay? So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, or Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city. So do you see, their, you see their voyage there? Now, this is pretty wild. On the Sabbath day, we went outside of the gate to the riverside, okay? So let, let, me, let me stop you right there. If you see that map, Paul and, and uh, Silas are traveling along, and they start to go, like, west to Asia. And do you see that stop sign on your map? God tells them, no, I don't want you to go that way. So they turn north, and they're looking at going up to the, the top area there, and God gives them another stop sign. He says, no, I don't want you to go there. And so as they start working their way over, they get to Troas, and in Troas, you guys, God gives Paul a straight-up vision. And in the vision, Paul sees a man from Macedonia. Now, please catch this. This is going to come in a little later. It isn't just a stop sign or a green light. He sees a vision of a man, a Macedonian man, saying, come to us. And so that's what guides Paul that way. So they do that, all right? Now, we've crossed over, and we're into Europe. For the first time, the, the, Paul is into Europe. He's into what's modern-day Greece. He's gone from Turkey to Greece, and that's where we start out. Now, if you catch this in verse 13, okay, so let's get that verse up there. Let's go ahead two slides, if you would, Kurt. 
We're on to verse 13 now, and check this out. He says, on the Sabbath day. So this is Saturday, and this is how Paul would do this. He'd get to the town, and he'd go looking first for the Jewish people, and he'd meet them in their synagogue. So he gets to Philippi, and here's how this worked. If you had 10 grown men that were Jewish, you had enough to start a synagogue. But if you didn't, generally, the Jewish believers would go outside of the town and they'd go and meet by a river. And think of all the cleansing and the washing they had to do. That's kind of why they'd go by a river. So Paul gets to Philippi. He realizes there's no synagogue. It's the Sabbath. Where do I find the Jewish people? And he goes down to the river and he finds this group meeting. And that's where we're at. So to finish verse 13, he says, And we sat down and spoke to the the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Now, let me explain that real quick. She probably was a Gentile who'd become a Jewish person, a Jewish believer, but she didn't know Jesus yet. So she was in that camp, a religious lady, basically, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And after she was baptized, so she became a believer, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be a faithful faithful Lord, Come to my house and stay. And she, pre- and she prevailed upon us. So they stayed there for a while. And now, verse 16, keep following with me. And we were going to the place of prayer. We were, when we were going there, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Can I just lay out that she was demon-possessed? She was demon-possessed. And this is terrible. Terrible. But some men had gotten a hold of her, and they were just using this terrible thing for their prophet. She would prophesy, she would predict, she would tell things about people. The demons would do that. And they were making, I mean, it's despicable, making money on that. So that's what we have here. So there's this slave girl, and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Now, This demon in her was heckling them. So what he was saying was actually true, but it was heckling them. It was a huge distraction. It was annoying. It was frustrating. It was detracting from what Paul was doing. So it says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, and aren't you real quick, can you put your finger there? Aren't you just glad to know that even the apostle Paul gets annoyed? Do any of you, are you so Christian you think we can't be annoyed, right? He gets annoyed with her. Oh, man, love Paul. Turns around, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour he delivered her. Now here's the deal. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Let me explain this real quick. Paul was Jewish. Silas was Jewish. They were with Timothy and they were with Luke at this point. If you caught this, Luke goes from saying they, 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 and in verse 10, Luke says we. So Luke would have joined them in Troas, and Luke's along the journey now. This is firsthand account. And if you don't know who Luke was, he was a doctor, but he was also a historian. Like an ama- so, so when you're in Acts and Luke, this is a historian recording these details. And, and they didn't take Luke, and they didn't take Timothy, because Timothy was half Greek, and Luke was Greek, and they didn't look Jewish. But the Jewish people, they took Paul and Silas, and check out what they did to him. They... they uh, they took him before the magistrates. Now, I want to put up here, let's go to that, that second slide that goes back there, Kurt, if you could. See it? One more, yes. See, the, the issue wasn't that 
that Paul and Silas were sharing things that the, the, the Greeks there didn't like. The problem was they robbed their income. They fixed our, our pony, our slave girl. We don't got any money, but they covered up with this. We're trying to keep Greece, Greece, okay? So I'll go ahead and start here in verse, let's go to 20. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So they're, they're basically coming up with a false accusation. And it says, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. As a 21st century U.S. citizen, it's hard to picture this actually happening. But this is how it went down. They whooped them. They beat them bad. Verse 23, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer. I want you to remember this jailer guy, okay? Ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, and he fastened their feet with stocks. Now, I'm going to put an image up here for you to help you imagine this, okay? So uh, don't forget Paul and Silas had been beaten, probably most of it on their backs. Their backs are bruised, probably lacerated some, raw. And can you just imagine, if you had just been beaten and thrown into prison, probably, or jail, what you'd want to do is probably find the bed and lay down on your stomach and just not move. Be still and don't let anything touch your back. But this jailer took them to the inner part of the prison and he put their feet in stock. So if you can imagine now, they have to sit on their bottoms with their feet elevated. Okay, they're not crisscross applesauce. Their feet are elevated. And imagine, I mean, how are you getting comfortable? Do you have to lean forward, thus stretching out this part that's just been beat? Do you, you don't want to lay down on that floor, and I won't go into the details, but it was nasty. You don't want to lay down with your back on that floor. That's going to kill. Do, do you put your hands back like this and recline? Basically, what I'm getting at here is the stocks that were put in would have made their torture even worse because they couldn't get comfortable. They would have cramped up. It was terrible. It was terrible. So this is where they're at. And they've done nothing wrong. Follow me to verse 25, if you would. Hey, guys, I told you I didn't grow up in the church. So I didn't grow up like, like the kids in this room here in this story, um, like straight out of verse 16. I came to church later as a, as a high school student. So when I read Acts, I read straight through it, okay? So can you, can you just put the Chris Snyder uh, high school hat on? And I'm reading this. I'm like, what the heck? What, what's going on here? And so verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, which, again, I told you it's kind of cool to see that the apostle Paul got frustrated, right? Here's another side of the apostle Paul. Is, this is so not like me. He's been beaten, he's in jail, and he's praying and worshiping. I mean, that's motivation right there, okay? Um, don't miss this. And the prisoners were listening to them. I could preach on this verse alone. You go through your trials, your neighbors watch, your family members don't know Jesus watch. That preaches. We'll get that next time, all right? Jordan, you can hit that next week, all right, bud? Softball. Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And now I'm reading this for the first time, and I'm like, yes, God's here. He's going to get him out. When the jailer, verse 27, woke and he saw the prison doors were open, 
he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Uh, if he didn't, the government would have. That was the death penalty. You can't lose the prisoners. Verse 28. Let me go ahead and underline this for you guys. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we, all, all, we are all here. This messed with me when I was reading it. And the reason it messed with me is because I read straight through Acts. You don't have to turn there, but just a few days before I read this part, I was in Acts 12. And, and I'll read this to you from Acts 12, but here's what happened in Acts 12. The apostle Peter had been arrested just a few days before this, just shortly before this, the disciple James, not the brother of Jesus, but the brother of John, the disciple James, had been executed. And now Peter has been caught, and Peter's day is here. King Herod was going to kill him. And this is what happens. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. The guards or the sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And the angel struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left Peter. When Peter came to himself, or when he kind of fully woke up, he said, Now I am sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, what they were expecting. Do you understand? I read that just a couple days earlier, and that's like, okay, that's how it works when you're stuck in prison. And then I get to Paul, and a very similar things happen, and I'm like, go, go. But Paul doesn't do that. He does the opposite of that. Now, I think it's really important as we keep going here to realize Paul must have known something that I didn't know as I was reading it. God had a different plan for Paul than he did for Peter, okay? So let's just pick it up in verse 29. And the jailer called for, his, for the lights, and he rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't it sweet how God works? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. As we kind of get to the end of this particular section, I want to point something out to you. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he, that's the jailer, took them to the same hour of night, and he washed their wounds. And let's underline this here. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them to, out of his house, or into his house, and he set food before them, and he rejoiced. And they, uh, he and the entire household, and they believed in God. Now, I want to point this out to you right here. Do we have that underlined, Kurt? We live in a, in a town where we're an evangelical church, and I, I know Chuck pretty well, and I, oh, you can, go up, you can go up one slide there. You can go back. Uh, I know Chuck pretty well from First Baptist, and, and I know there's some evangelical churches in town, but, but we're a mainline denomination town, aren't we, Spencer? Is that fair to say? A lot of Lutherans, Catholics, the, the, the Reformed Church, right? And so some, some people go to this verse right here, and say, this jailer, and they'll say, well, see, his family was baptized. So his kids were baptized. The little babies were baptized. Here's what I want to point out to you. They'll go to this verse to say infant baptism, but you've got to know how to deal with this. It doesn't say infant 
kids. It doesn't say little kids. It just says his family. And so you have to read into that to get to infant baptism. But in fact, if you go back just one verse, it says they explained it to him. They talked to him. So whatever family was there, it was explained to them by Paul and Silas, and they became believers. This is not infant baptism. This is literally believer's baptism. They believed, and then they were baptized. So just want to throw that out there. That's a little side note. But that's an important one because this is a major text for baptism. As we keep going, I walked you through the text, but what I really want to do is, uh, you, know, you know, I read through it, but man, if, if all I've done is told you a history story, which it's amazing, isn't it? But if all I've all done is told you a history story, I failed you this morning. We have four major takeaways, okay? And this is what I always tell the students I work with, is my job is not just to tell you what the Bible says, it's to help link it to your life. And so let's do that right now, and we're going to look at four major takeaways. The first one, and we'll put that slide up there now, Kurt, is this. The Bible is historically accurate. Did you really? I put that map in there for you. Karen Hasman the other day, this was a few weeks ago, you came to my office, you go, can we get some maps for Sunday school? And I said, yes. I want your, to, your students to see, like, th- this is real places. You can get on a plane and go there. I have a friend right now, one of my best friends from Esterville, is I'm so jealous. He's in Israel right now. And he's posting these pictures on Facebook, okay? He's like, he's going to the valley where David fought Goliath. He flew on a plane into Tel Aviv. That's the modern day name. In Jonah's time, it was called Joppa. He flew in there. Like, that place is real. He will, on this tour of Israel, walk on a little cobblestone street where Jesus walked. This is real, guys. So number one, this is historically accurate. Uh, A few months ago, I was up, my boys were in bed, and one of my boys came down, and, 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 and he is sharp. He, he, he thinks things through. It's, it's not like it's spoon-fed to him. Like, he processes it. He'll question it. He'll challenge it. I love that about him. And he came down, and he was upset. Not, not mad, but just a little scared. And he said, Dad, what if none of this is true? And I just said, I'm so proud of you for wrestling through that. Most people don't get there till high school college some of you never get there to where you own this and he's like dad what what if it's what if you're wrong too i know you believe it what if you're wrong and you know i said hey hey buddy i won't share his name hey buddy um normally i'd take you to the bible to give you the answers but since you're questioning that can i just go to google don't judge me jordan let me go to google and show you something and i pulled up king xerxes and i said see the world knows xerxes was a real person and I pulled up Herod, and I pulled up Pharaoh, and pictures of the, the Egyptian pyramids. These places in the Bible are real. Buddy, we have all, of, this is on our side. It's historically accurate. So can I just tell you, I mean, I care about this. This book's real. You get to the miracles, and oh, I don't know, these places are real. You can go visit them today. These are pictures. This isn't the church that was started by Paul in Philippi. It's about 500 years later. But that church came from a visit from Paul. So never forget, this is historically accurate. Next slide, if you would. Number two, God is active and he is with us. Okay? And I I hope that encourages you, Josh and Whitney. He's active. You know, you're not going alone on this, okay? I love that you're getting the financial support. I love that you see the need for prayer. Okay, God's with them on this. God, God started this whole thing with a game of, you know, hotter, colder, right? Warmer. You're getting close. No, not that way, Paul. Nope, now you're hot, now you're hot. Keep going. 
God's guiding him. Um, God is the one that gets this demon out of this slave girl. Okay? Uh, God makes an earthquake happen. And, and don't forget this, because sometimes, sometimes we think we don't see miracles happen all around us. Do you understand salvation itself is probably the greatest miracle you will see in your life? One of my favorite speakers, Ravi Zacharias, says, it's not that God is taking bad people and making them good. He's taking dead people and giving them life. Do you understand throughout this account, and I want to I pull this out for you, okay? Lydia probably would have been similar to what a lot of you all have in this town, a very religious person. Now, she had not yet known God personally. It happened when Paul met her. She didn't know Jesus personally. She, she was a, a Jewish person in that faith, and, and I'm glad that, that Paul met her. But, but what I'm saying here is a lot of what you're going to deal with is, is people, and I don't mean to be judgmental, but I think you work with these people, right? They, they don't miss church. And, and for a lot of ways, they might have their life together. Y'all ever, oh, baby, I better watch what I say here. Pella, I'll go a little farther away from it. You ever been to Pella? Man, Pella. Like, they don't work on Sundays. You get in trouble if you do, right? Like, they got their stuff together. And I'm not saying people in Pella don't know Jesus, but what I'm saying is this lady had her stuff together. But God sent Paul, and she realized, I need Jesus. What I'm doing is not I need Jesus. And then you go to the slave girl, and I want to be careful with this. Because we don't know if the slave girl became a Christian or not, but we do know that Jesus taught that if you cast a demon out and the spirit isn't there, it seems like more come back. And that didn't happen because those guys were out of work, right? So, so you can make a pretty strong case that this slave girl probably started following Christ. I'm not going to die on the hill, but I think you can make that case. And I don't work with a lot of people that have been demon-possessed. I don't work with a lot of people that have been through that. And you might know some people that have. Family members, right? Okay, so you might know some people that have. But I'll tell you what, I work with people that, that, that have had addictions, and they were owned by those. They had things that the world could not deliver them from, but Jesus did. So you've got Lydia, who's kind of the religious lady that's got it all together. You've got the slave girl, and then you get to this Roman, or this guard, this guard, this Macedonian guard, I'm sorry. And, and you've got a guy that if you've seen the movie Gladiator, he kind of reminds me of Maximus, because that's what a lot of the jailers were. They were former military leaders who did a really good job at getting their hands dirty. And they knew how to keep people in line and do the really bad things that they had to. So you got this jailer, kind of a hard man. But man, God saves him too. And so I never want you to miss how important salvation is. Now, we're going to go to this, la this uh, third slide here, the third point. And what I've got is this. Don't count people out. Don't count people out. I just gave you three examples of how God worked boom, boom, boom in this text. You have people in your life. If you're anything like me, you have like categories. They're this close, man. They're, this, they're asking the good questions. They're this close. And then you got people that are like, uh, man, I'm not there with them. God, send somebody else. Send somebody else. It's, gonna have to, it's not me, but send somebody else. And then you, if you're like me, let's just be real. You got people and you're like, it's going to take a miracle. Yeah, it's going to take a miracle for the person that's this close, too. That's God working. But what I'm telling you is don't count them out. Um, and it doesn't mean they will be saved, but it doesn't mean they're beyond it. We don't know that. We don't have that information. So check this out. I was at a camp, and I want to do a real quick uh, commercial, a real quick commercial. So I'm stepping out of the sermon. If you're here and you're a teenager or a young person, I hope you're going to Hidden Acres. I hope you are going there. That is a great camp. And I hope, I just this week got to fill out two um, 
um, suggestion forms, uh, recommendations for a, a present and a past student of mine that are going to go serve at camp. They want to serve at camp. Can I just tell you, that's one of the best things you can do for getting over yourself and serving everybody else and putting them first and connecting with Jesus. So go to camp, and when you get old enough, serve at camp, you guys. So back to the message. I'm working at a camp up in Wisconsin. I'm a counselor. And from the first day, you know, they all come in. All these students come, and they're unloading their luggage, and you're meeting them. And this happens every week. If you've been a camp counselor, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is always one guy, at least one. Sometimes you have two or three. It's a really hard week. But at least one guy who's trying way too hard to be that guy, right? So he's trying so hard to be cool, the ladies' man. And it's just like, dude, just leave that game at home, right? But he's there. He's not in my cabin. And I'm just like, you know, pray for Jason. He's got that guy. And, uh, I helped out with tennis, though. Tennis was like my activity that I helped out with, me and a, a friend of mine named Aaron. And, of course, that guy signs up for tennis. And, and again, can I show you how crummy my heart can be sometimes? Instead of being like, yes, yes, here's somebody who needs Jesus. Thank you, God. I'm like, that guy, of course. And I tell Aaron that. And Aaron, who was spiritually more mature than I was, goes, Chris, God might have his number. God might have his number. And before the end of the week, that young man did make a profession of faith, which rocked. It rocked. So can I just assure you, if you have a religious person in your life that thinks they got it all together and don't need Jesus, don't count them out. They're not too far for God to work. If you have somebody that's, that's as far as demon-possessed, but even under addiction or just in that camp, they're owned by something, God's bigger. And if you've got somebody that's, that, I have a father-in-law that I pray for so much, but he's just like the man's man who doesn't see his need for Jesus. They're not beyond us. So don't count people out. Um, my fourth point for us this morning is this. God is better at planning than you are. Hey, are there any of you, this, this time of year, this comes out. You don't have to raise your hand. I won't embarrass you. But I'm a control freak. If any of you are control freaks, like November and December are tough trying to keep the trips under control, uh, the, organizing where you're going for Christmases and Thanksgivings. This is tough. So control freaks, this one's for you, okay? Uh, God is better at planning than you are. Now, I want to give you what is speculation. I always, when it's, when it's speculation, I try to tell you that, but let me show you this. Uh, this is a painted picture. This wasn't an actual photo, okay? But this is a painted picture of uh, Paul when that earthquake happened. And the jailer came in. And, and I want to tell you a theory I have, and I can support this, of why Paul didn't do what Peter did, why God's plan for Peter was to bolt, and God's plan for Paul was to stay. I think, you guys, that if you went ver back to that verse, I think it's 23. I think if you went back to, let me go to the next slide here, to verse 23. I think when Paul first laid eyes on his jailer, I think Paul recognized him. Paul had never seen that man in his life, but I think he recognized him. I think the jailer was the Macedonian man in his dream. And I think when Paul saw him, he immediately knew, okay, God's up to something right now. And I think when that earthquake happened, Paul did not say to Silas, this is our chance to get out of here. I think he said, Silas, it's time to tell. We stay put and we tell him, this is the guy. And I think that is exactly why. Let me go ahead and put this up here. We got this. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia. I think that's exactly how Paul knew to stay put. So those of you that are control freaks like me or you get real anxious, can I just remind you, 
God's got this. Like, he's amazing. What a God we have. Now, I'm going to wrap up, okay? I'm going to wrap up with a, a quick story, and I'll put a picture of this young man up here. Um, this is, this is a, a guy that I've never met personally, but I'll set this up for you. When I was in college, now I told you I was in Iowa City for college, but then I went to the Moody Bible Institute in downtown Chicago, and I was in college. Uh, Bridget and I were married at this time, and Bridget worked for a rehab company. She's a, a physical therapist assistant. She's working for the Rehab Institute of Chicago. And Bridget works with a guy who, in his, uh, in his off time, he's from the northern suburbs, first of all. He drives into town. He drives into town, but he lives in the northern suburbs. And in his free time, he coaches basketball. He coaches junior high basketball. In the north suburbs where there's a lot of money, he coaches at a private school. And uh, he's coaching, and one of the guys on his team, his name is Jeffrey. This is an actual picture of Jeffrey. And Jeffrey was good. Jeffrey went on to play college D1 ball. Jeffrey was good. But here's where it gets crazy. This guy's telling Bridget about coaching, and he goes, uh, the, the guy's dad, who's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, okay, would never miss a game. Now, his, his job took him out of town a lot, but if he was in town, he never missed a game ever. But his dad was such a, 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 a basketball freak, he would come to practices and watch. Do any of you coach anything here? Do we have any coaches or refs? Okay, Dan, you do some. So, Dan, I'll just talk to you. Dan, how would you feel if you were coaching junior high basketball? Like, we're not talking high school basketball even. Junior high basketball. And you got a dad coming, watching over your shoulder, and then... At the end of practice, the dad comes up and starts giving this guy advice on how to do his job. Dan, can you tell me how you feel about that? Okay, yep, yep, right? Uh, Those of you put on your, if you were a coach, how would you feel if that happened to you? Would you resent that? Okay, I'm going to give you one separate detail, which will change everything for you. This kid's name was Jeffrey Jordan. Next slide, Kurt. His dad was Michael. Now, do you understand, if you're coaching Michael Jordan's son, and Michael Jordan is giving you tips on how to play basketball, does that change it a little bit, Dan? Are you like, here's my cell number, here's my phone, just call me anytime. One in the morning, you got a coaching idea, call me, bro, okay? Okay, guys, can I just tell you, sometimes we lose track that God is God. He's God. And we start wanting to take over. Let's let him do that. And there will be times where he says, stop, or don't go there. There will be times where he says, you need to go where you're not planning on going. There will be times he does that. There will be times where he says, get uncomfortable, get hurt, follow his lead. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and we will close with the song. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you are in control. And I thank you for me and my family that I'm not. Lord, I pray that you would just direct us, and as we sing this last song, would we give it our best? Would we give you our best? Amen. Come on up, worship team.